Um, we've been in this um, series for the last couple of weeks called Christmas Before and After. And what we've been talking about, and we've kind of been f- having fun referencing some of these things on Facebook that we've seen with this 10-year challenge, where people have put, it's kind of not, it's not a thing in the last couple of weeks. It was, it changes so quickly, all right? But a few weeks ago, you'd put up a picture of yourself from 2009, put up a picture of yourself from 2019, and we always have fun l- looking back and seeing the way that we have changed or our family has changed and kind of comparing the before and after to see what the differences are. And that's kind of fun for us to do in all different places uh, in life. Now, what we wish we could do, and I imagine most of us wish we could do, is if we could do that with our faith journey, right? If we could take where we are right now in our faith journey, which, let's, first and foremost, most, all of us could describe, in some words, where we are, spiritually speaking, right now. Like, you know, if you, you describe yourself, you might say, well, I go to church, all right? And, and some people would use that to describe where their relationship with God is. It's just like, I go to a place on Sundays, right? Um, others would say, I, you know, I attend church regularly, which means like once every, you know, five weeks, all right? Um, you might say I'm a Christian and just lead people to assume that's just w- what that means, right? And, and you yourself just kind of making assumptions about that, what that means. You might say, I don't go to church very often. I'm not even sure I want to. You, you may be here today with those same reservations, all right? And, and, or, or I don't believe that Jesus is God, and, and that's just kind of like superstitious and mystical, all right? And wh- wherever you believe about faith and about your approach to Jesus, you could describe what it is right now for you. But what if, we would have fun with this, what if someone in some way could like draw back the curtains and like shine some light on what your faith life looked like 10 years from now. What would it look like if, if you were to take that, that, just those continuous steps of obedience to our Heavenly Father? Like, what would the impact be in your life? It would be kind of fun to look, if you could see it. What would the impact of like those deeper places where you just, just dive in and more trust with our Heavenly Father? What would it look like 10 years, 20 years from now, if you could peer at it now and see a picture of it now to see the impact of more surrender to Jesus, that you would know, like you could see an image and you would know that everything maybe you've heard about how good God is, maybe the things you've read about how great our heavenly dad is, like if you could see it and know that it were true, that you you would be secure in his love no matter what you did, Right? That he really does have the most fruitful, most abundant, best life possible in store for you. And that you've been settling for less. Like if you could see an image of your faith 10 years from now and know the impact of all of that. Like you, every single one of us, would approach this Christmas season differently and every season afterwards, right? Every season afterwards, we would approach with, with, with more confidence in light of what we know to be true. But here's, what we, here's something so that we know to be true today. And I encourage you to write this on the front of your program or take out your phone um, and, and, and bring up like a, a note. You know, I kind of like sometimes to take notes that way. I'll just bring up a, a blank note and just start typing stuff in because I want you to write this one down today. Put your trust in the one who delivers. 
Put your trust in the one who delivers. We're going to take a look here this morning together at this before picture of the people of Israel. We're going to go back 700 years before Jesus is even born, all right? It's almost 3,000 years ago. We're going to go back more than 700 years before Jesus is born into the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew Jewish scriptures of the Bible, right? And Isaiah is a prophet who lived in that time. He lived and he, he, was, he was actually a mouthpiece of God at the time, speaking to the people of Israel, okay? Now, this is 700 years before Jesus is born, and, and, and the context is this. The northern, the northern kingdom of Israel has been overrun and conquered by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians have conquered the northern people in, in Israel, all right? They're now in captivity. They're a conquered people. Isaiah is God's mouthpiece as a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, at this point that Isaiah writes, they have eluded being overrun by the Assyrians. But what Isaiah says to the people of Judah and the southern kingdom is, there is a time coming soon when you too will be held captive by an invading enemy. There is a time coming when you will be dragged from your homeland and exiled into captivity. And so Isaiah's message to the people of Judah is repent and trust in your heavenly father because he's good and he's got good things for you and trust him to deliver you from that because there is a time coming when you will return back to your homeland. You will be delivered from captivity and not only will you be delivered from bondage and return to your homeland, but there will be one who will deliver your souls. And it's in Isaiah chapter 9 that we pick up this, this narrative that Isaiah is explaining to his people. Isaiah chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, when you leave today, stop by the hub, which I mentioned earlier, blue curtain area. Pick up a Bible because we have free Bibles there. We just want to get God's word into your hand, into your life. It's free. Take it. We want you to have it. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. He says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Zebulun and Naphtali are two tribal groups that make up the entire nation of Israel and Judah. All right? um, Zebulun and Naphtali are in a geographical area. Isaiah is referring to those two groups because Jesus will be born there 700 years later. But he's using that to talk about all of the northern kingdom of Israel. Zebulun and Naphtali. Blah, 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 all right? They will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, it's that same ge geographical area, but it changes names when the Assyrians conquer it. All right, so it's called that now. Which, it, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, it will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who le live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine Verse 6, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. One of the privileges we have now is as we sit here, we get to know that this child that will be born, of course, he's talking about Jesus. And we get to know that. They didn't know that. And not only did they not know that, 
But the wait time that they were in for, seven centuries. That's a little bit of time. Seven centuries they had to wait. There's this, the author of the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, in chapter 13, he says something like, and maybe you've heard this before, he says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I wonder if that's not what Isaiah's talking about when he says that the people living in this land are experiencing deep darkness, that there's this deep despair. They live in a land of deep darkness. I don't know. Is that how you would describe your life today? I mean, it's kind of a dark way to say it. But would you describe your life as a place of deep darkness and despair? Now, some of us would. Some of us came in here this morning, and some of you say, yeah, that's exactly what I feel right now. Because I'm experiencing a holiday season for the first time since I lost someone that I love so much. I'm reminded of this season of the brokenness in our family. Or the financial issues that we have. Daily, I'm reminded of the stress that's at work or the stress that's at school or with friends at school. I'm lonely, and I'm lonely most of the time, but, but I'm maybe faking it a little bit better during the Christmas season, but I feel so alone sometimes. I'm sick, and somebody I love is sick. Maybe, maybe you just feel a real distance from God. And can you believe it? Like, this is the season we're supposed to be reminded of how close we are to him, but we fake that well too. Because you feel very distant from him. And so maybe you did come here this morning, and maybe if I were to ask you to describe where you are in your faith, you might use some of those words I talked about earlier, but you might actually use the word like, I'm in a dark place. Maybe Despair. Maybe you're coming out of a dark place. Maybe you actually have been in a dark season and there's something going on in your life. God's doing some stuff in the background of your life and you're just being brought out of it. And here's something scary. There's a lot of us that are headed into a dark season. We don't know it yet. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know why it's going to happen, but there's a lot of us that are heading into a dark season coming here real soon. Now, there are some of us who hear this word darkness and dark, a land of despair, and we're like, I'm just, just doesn't describe me. Can I just tell you? Okay, that's fine. I mean, you say like that doesn't really describe where I am. I mean, like everybody in the room here knows that like in life, there's like this roller coaster, right? You've got good days. You've got not so good days. You've got people who annoy you. You've got friendship and relationship, marriage issues, right? But for the, for the most part, some of us can say, but life's pretty good. I wouldn't say it's dark. I wouldn't say I'm in despair. Things are going okay for me. Well, more than 700 years after Isaiah is writing and 700 years after, you know, Isaiah's dead, John is going to write about this son that has been given. Now, John was a good friend of Jesus's. He walked with him. John was one of the only disciples that we're told. Not only was Jesus one of Jesus' best friends, but he was present at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. The moment Jesus died, John was present. 
He was one of the first eyewitnesses to run to the tomb in disbelief that Jesus had actually walked out of it alive. And he gets there and he finds an empty tomb. And when he writes his biography of Jesus's life, he pretty much says this, I didn't believe it was going to happen. And then I showed up and he was gone. So it happened. When John sits down to write his narrative of Jesus' life, he actually uses these same words of darkness and light in the same way Isaiah did. Um, Look in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, all right, starting with verse 1, this is what he says. In the beginning, the word already existed. And when he uses the word, word, he's talking about Jesus, all right, capital W. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the, and here it is, the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. We have, church, nearly 3,000 years of human history, at least, convincing you and me that we are in the dark, whether you feel it or not. Um, usually in the last three years, at the beginning of every summer, I try to take um, the, my, my two boys on, on a hike. It's just kind of like a summer kickoff thing. We just try to go on a day hike somewhere. So this past summer, we went to Clifty Falls State Park in Indiana. If you've ever, anybody ever been there, yeah, it's beautiful. I hadn't, I'd been there years ago, didn't spend a lot of time there. But this year, we went, and I, I picked the day that I knew it was going to rain all day. And so we went, and it did. Um, so it was good. Um, so, so Justin and Peter and I are hiking and we're on this trail. And if you've been there, you've probably been on this one where there's this like tunnel. And I guess it was like a train tunnel where they were going to bring tracks through there years ago and decided not to. So there's this tunnel that, that, that's, you can't really tell how long it is. So we approach this tunnel and of course the boys want to go through the tunnel, whereas the path also goes around it. I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's, let's experiment. By the time I said that my oldest son was already 50 yards in and he had disappeared. And one of the things that was a little, tri- was a little bit, you know, disconcerting about it was I didn't know how long the tunnel was. I, I didn't have evidence that it actually came out on the other side. Like we could have wandered into the middle of nowhere and died in there, you know, but, and, and, and I, it couldn't, you couldn't see the end from one to the other, right? So Justin already heads in. So Peter and I are like, okay, let's, 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 let's start in. But it's a little tricky because you couldn't see anything. Once you're about like 30 yards in, like you can't see a thing. It's pitch black. And it's only about six feet tall, maybe six at its highest point. So you're kind of one of these things. There's like these outcroppings and dips and there's like ankle to shin deep puddles of water everywhere. And so you're navigating, right? And we're navigating with pretty much this right here. And you know how bright that is. All right. So I had the luck of being in this completely dark cave, stumbling around. What do you, you don't know when you're going to smash your head on a rock, trip and fall, or step in shin deep water. And I can see about 36 inches in front of me for both of us, you know. And I'm stumbling around and drop the phone several times, and, and we make our way through, you know, just a little bit of of light. But we make it to the other side. Justin was there waiting for us for like 20 minutes. Um, and everything was fine. When we are turned around to come back, you know, of course, the boys are like, let's go through the tunnel again. I'm like, no, we've been there. I've done it. Let's just stay on the path and keep going. All right. Um, 
There's a funny thing about that, is that John tells us that we've been in darkness. Isaiah says, people in darkness. And I'm going to tell you this now. When the writers of the narratives in the Bible, when they use the word darkness, when they use the word darkness, they're talking about something far more dangerous than an old abandoned train tunnel. In fact, there are three things that the Bible, when the writers use the word darkness, that it's describing about us. The first thing we're going to talk about is when the Bible talks about darkness, Isaiah, John, and a score of others, they're talking about evil. Evil. Now, it's not like an exorcist evil, okay? This isn't like um, what you see in the movie of, of, you know, because Satan is far more subtle. But when the, when the Bible talks about evil, darkness, and it's talking about evil, it's talking about a spiritual battle that's happening for your heart. Now, you may not recognize it. You may not call it that. But that is exactly what's happening, is that Satan is in a battle for, with our Heavenly Father for your heart and the heart of your grandkids and the heart of your children and the hearts of your future children. Jesus experienced it. Now, if the Son of God experienced spiritual warfare, I don't know who we think we are that we are not going to. Because Satan came to Jesus and really tried to distract him and lie to him with two different things. One is to get to him to question his identity. Are you really the Son of God? The second thing that Satan did to attempt to distract or lie to Jesus is to question God's faithfulness. Now, when Paul, years later, is writing to the early church, Paul will tell the Christians in the city of Ephesus, like, you are in a spiritual battle. Like, we are in a battle, not against flesh and blood things, but against spiritual forces of evil. While our Heavenly Father, church, gives us instruction and guidance through his word and through his Holy Spirit about what the best version of life looks like, this side of heaven, about where, where you and I can experience abundant life with our Father. There's another force, and his name is Satan. He's the devil. He's the father of lies. And he will lie and distract you from God's truths whenever he can because he hates you. And all he wants to do is distract you. Not like the exorcist, where it's obvious and creepy, but in subtle things like your kids are fine you bring them to church enough they're good kids in fact you're a good person subtle things that says hey guess what church when you do go just remember that really is about you it's about your preferences. It's about what kind of music you like or don't and the way that you want things. And hey, listen, if it doesn't go that way, just leave and go someplace else. Because it's really about you. Your money, your time, that's yours too. And it's okay, you earned it. And what little precious little you have of it, use it for yourself. You're generous enough. I mean, it's not like demon possession here as we would think of it in the movies we see necessarily. It's subtle things. Because he hates you. You ever heard that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy? Have you ever heard that? 
It doesn't feel evil. But when the Bible uses the word darkness, sometimes these guys, when they write that, that's exactly what they're talking about. This spiritual battle that is at war for your soul and mine. And church, we must have a keen awareness of the enemy we face. We have to have a keen awareness of the enemy that we face. Because if we don't, then we live in ignorance. And when the biblical writers talk about darkness, that's the second thing they could be, they're also talking about. It's not just evil, but our ignorance. We live in a dark place or a land of despair. It actually could be talking about, depending on the, 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 the context, our ignorance, that we're just completely unaware of the battle that we're in. And sometimes when we're unaware of a battle that we're in, we don't give the devil enough credit for the power that he has in our lives. And so what you and I do is we walk through our faith journey, wherever you are on that spectrum, right? And we walk through it with this false sense of strength, right? We walk through this false sense of strength because we don't really have this enemy. That's just a mystical idea. And so we say, you know what? Sex is really just sex. It's not that big of a deal. It can't really hurt anything. Or I just lie in order to protect myself at work or at school. It's really not that big of a deal. Because, because it, this, this thing, the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms is just really kind of a thing that Paul said. He didn't really mean it. I can handle these issues in my life. I can handle them on my own. I'm strong enough. Where I am in my spiritual life, it's good enough. Because we don't really believe that we have an enemy at all. I was reading this summer um, a short snippet in this book about the brave men who landed at the beaches of Normandy in France in World War II and, and the several thousands who died there as well. And a part of that story that we don't hear as often, though it has been depicted in, in many films over the last 20 years, is what happened a few days before the landing at the, on the beaches there in France. And that is the thousands of paratroopers who dropped in behind enemy lines in the French countryside to cut off the Nazi reinforcements to the coast. And this, the, the story is um, just a quick snippet from a private Francis Pellis. He talks about something he saw, and while there are thousands of brave people who, who put their lives on the line to save the world from a brutal dictator, um, some did not. Some struggled. And he talks about this. Here's what he says. Talking about some of the paratroopers, he says, Too many had hunkered down in hedgerows to await the dawn. A few had even gone to sleep. Private Francis Pallis of the 506th saw what was perhaps the worst dereliction of duty. He had gathered a squad near Vierville, and hearing all kinds of noise and singing from a distance, he and his men sneaked up on the farmhouse. In it was a mixed group from both American divisions. The paratroopers had found liquor in the cellar, and they were drunker than a bunch of hillbillies on a Saturday night wingding. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. That you can't fight a battle or an enemy that you don't think exists. 
And church, we're in a battle. And a lot of us don't think so. And so we're a prime target for our enemy. Whether you are purposefully or naively unaware, we are surrounded by danger. You are and your kids are and your grandkids are. And if you think, listen, and, and, and this is not a scare tactic, it's just the truth of what we see in God's word. And, and if you think that, that the battle that we're in in our spiritual journey is just a battle between our busy schedules and our calendars and our stressful relationships and the things that are there, a battle between that and, and, and just a, a growing relationship with our Heavenly Father, if we think that's the battle, then we are naively and dangerously mistaken. Because what the enemy whispers into the ear of the ignorant is this, I'm not here. I'm not even here. It's only you. When the writers talk about darkness, they talk about evil, they talk about ignorance, and they also reference self-reliance. A people living in a deep land of despair and darkness, they're talking about self-reliance, that we have the light within ourselves to work our way to this abundant life that our Heavenly Father talks about, all right? And, other, that's what, and look at what Isaiah says. In the, in the chapter right before the one I read earlier, okay, chapter 8, this is what he says, and starting with verse 20, he says, consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. Church, there's a lot of us in all different different places on our spiritual walk with Jesus or with our Heavenly Father who are wandering around in self-reliance trusting our money, trusting our future, our grab as success, our sexual identity, and our plans for our career or retirement. Thinking that wherever we are spiritually is just good enough. Thinking that we have what it takes within ourselves to handle all the dark things that life can throw at us. And let me tell you something to the teenagers in the room, because I feel my heart breaks for you, because some of you have adults in your life that are telling you that the way to to keep at bay the darkness that this world has to throw at you, that that Satan has to throw at you, there are adults in your life who are telling you the way that you keep that darkness at bay is to work hard, get, get a good education, get a good job, make a lot of money, Get good grades and work and practice hard. And that will help keep darkness at bay in your life. And what's worse, some of us, some of the teenagers in the room have have adults in their lives who are modeling for them a way to handle darkness. And that's through alcohol abuse or anger or busyness or pretending that the darkness isn't even there at all. Adults, children don't ever have to be taught to be afraid of the dark. It's natural for them. The problem is, as adults, we just learn to live in it. In our shame and in our self-reliance. 
And Satan's line to the self-reliant is this. You're fine. You're doing okay. Or for those of you who might have a little bit of guilt and shame, and there are probably a lot of us, Satan's line to the self-reliant is, your heart is bad and you know it. You can't claw your way out of this thing and you're going to stay there forever. Darkness, a place of despair. Turns out that when Isaiah and John and God, when they say that we are living in a land of darkness and despair, they're right. It's actually a place that all of us come from. But that was the before story. That was the before story. Because when John sits down to write his narrative of Jesus' life, remember what he says. The word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. Everything Everyone, that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Guys, what John is saying as he starts to launch into this narrative of Jesus' coming, his arrival and his life, is that church, you've got to flip on a switch to light up the dark places in your life. Because he's here. Don't get lost in the evil that surrounds you or in the ignorance of your spiritual apathy. Rely on the self-reliance and you will always let you down. Okay? But the Son of God will not. See, we want deliverance from the dark things in our life. We want to be delivered from the dark situations, but we don't need deliverance. See, we don't need deliverance because the truth is, you and I will always make our way back to those dark corners, and as we turn around and come back, we're always going to want to go back through the tunnel. We don't need deliverance because we always just want to go back. We need saved. We don't need delivered. We need saved. You need saved. You need a savior. You need somebody to, we need somebody to rescue us. Because I don't know about you, because I'll always go back to the dark places. My heart's just drawn there. And so is yours. And there's one person who has ever lived and still does who can deliver us. And his name is Jesus. And that light, Isaiah said 700 years before he was born. And John will say it too is that that light has arrived, folks. And it shines on every situation, past, present, and future. Every hard decision you need to make, every secret scar you carry, that light shines on it with grace and truth and forgiveness. Now that is something we celebrate this season. And we're going to go to a time of reflection right now. And the band will play and, and, and we'll take communion in a moment. And, and you'll get to just get a chance to sit where you are and, and think or, or pray on this thing. Because what Proverbs 13 says is that a hope deferred makes the heart sick. And you know it, and I know it. 
But the next part of Proverbs 13, right after it says that, is but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Church, we don't have to wait any longer. It's right at our fingertips. All you and I need to do is take another step of trust. Well, you do that. Whatever dark place you came in here with, whatever darkness that looms right now in your life, whatever dark places you and I are headed toward, and we are, Can you, wherever you are in your spiritual journey this morning, listen, can you, will you take one more step of trust this morning toward a good God and his son who is light every step of your way? Can you do that? It doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey because all of us really only have this. Can you, can, can you just trust 36 inches in front of you? Not all the way to the end. You can't see it. You don't know it. But you, can you trust just 36 inches, one more step, one more step of obedience, one more step of trust, one more step of surrender to your heavenly Father? Will you do it? I don't know what that is for you. For some of us, it's going to be baptism. December 24th, Christmas Eve, we've already got several we're going to celebrate, and maybe that's you. God, I hope that's you. That you said, I don't understand all of this. I don't know the whole entire way forward, but I do need that light in my life. Like, I need delivered. I like, I need saved. And I've never, as a believing person, surrendered to baptism. And that's my next step. And we are going to celebrate new life in the best season of the year on Christmas Eve. And if you want to talk about baptism, write that on your connection card and and we'll connect with you this week. You can't see the whole way, just 36 inches, just one more step of trust in a really, really good Heavenly Father. Pray with me. Father God, Thank you for your rescue. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for lighting up every, every thing in my life. I trust you, Father. Forgive me when I don't. And I trust that you guide me. You are so good. You're so perfect and you're all that I need. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.